so glad to be here uh, to be able to share with you this morning. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Pastor Holly. I'm the worship and community engagement pastor. And I just want to start this morning by saying happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers and grandmothers, to our aunts, to our uh, so the special women in our lives. We just thank you and we need you and we love you and we honor you today. Um, I'm not sure uh, what I expected motherhood to be like uh, before. I actually, I'm like, I was trying to remember what, what was it like before I was a mom? I feel like I've been a mom for a long time. But I do remember uttering these words, and maybe you've uttered similar words. I thought before I was a mom, I, I actually said these words, when I'm a mom, I will never, and you could fill in the blank. <laughs> I said, I probably said a lot of things. I probably have a lot of apologies to make. Or I would say, my kids, my kids would never, ever do that. So I don't know today if you've ever been in a situation like that and you wish you could crawl back to your old self and just take some of those words back. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take some of these words back. But the truth is that life doesn't always go the way we expected, does it? You know, exactly. In some ways, it might be better than you ever dreamed of. You could be sitting here this morning, this is better than I ever dreamed. And in other ways, it may just feel like one giant mess. And I know that we celebrate Mother's Day with, you know, flowers and breakfast in bed and frilly pretty things, but we all know that real life is not that way, isn't it? Like that is not really a, a, a good representation of what real life is. I have a picture up here of my kids when they were little, and I just, <laughs> I just, they're so cute, aren't they? I just read this quote. It said, silence is golden unless you're a mother, and then silence is suspicious. And so I remember specifically, you know, folding the clothes that the kids had grown out of, like for hours and hours, and you fold them into bins so that you could pass them down to the next child or put them, and we found the kids there in this mess and in the bathroom, but they're so cute, right? I'm sure that I was walking into the room expecting to see them playing quietly and I found this. And it's a good thing they're cute. This, I mean, it might seem a little trivial to us this morning because there's, what about the bigger things? The, the things in life, I don't know what your week has looked like, what your month has looked like, what your year has looked like. Stretch it out to a decade. I don't know what it is that you have been walking through, but what do we do when life throws the unexpected at us, when we find ourselves expecting one thing, but we look around at our reality and we realize this is not how I planned it to go. And the, you know, the unexpected job loss, the relationship breakdown, the news you get from your medical team that you weren't expecting, the thing you've been praying on and just holding on to God, believing for, and you haven't seen the answer yet. And it can be a real breeding ground in our lives for disappointment. Someone once told me that frustration is when you're dealing with things out here. You know, you could be frustrated with something and you're kind of handling it out here. But disappointment comes when we internalize 
what our frustration is when it makes its way into our heart and into our mind and into ugh, all the stuff. And we realize it becomes a lot harder to shake that kind of disappointment because disappointment comes when we compare what we expected something to be like, when we, when we compare what it is and what we feel like it could or should have been. It can happen, you know, and disappointment creates this gap and it, and it creates a gap in your expectation and the reality that you're living. You know, we could be disappointed in people. People let us down. Actually, people that you love the most probably have let you down the most. We could be disappointed in our circumstances. Maybe you expected the promotion or you expected that relationship to work out. We could be disappointed in ourselves. Right? You know, we are often our own very worst critic, and we could have big disappointments for the Lord. I speak to people all the time that have big, big questions for God. God, where were you? God, I prayed for that person to be healed and they died. I asked for that relationship to be restored and it's broken. I expected one thing, God, and it seems that I've got something else. Disappointments can create these gaps in our faith and especially when things don't go the way that we had hoped for. And, and there's this gap between our expectation and God's activity. And sh let me tell you, Scripture's no stranger to this gap. Um, you know, we see disappointments all through Scripture. We see life's unexpected struggles. And this was all a very real part of the early church. In fact, we're going to look uh, really quickly this morning at the beginning at 1 Thessalonians 3, and then you can scroll to Samuel, 1 Samuel 4. That's where I'm going to be landing today. But 1 Thess Thessalonians 3, Paul is sending his protege, Timothy, to a new church plant. And he wants to encourage them to keep their faith strong in the middle of discouraging times. And this is what he says in Thessalonians 3, 2b. He said, we sent him, we, we sent Timothy to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that you are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work was useless. Imagine Timothy showing up with this encouraging message, right? Hey guys, just wanted to remind you, we said there would be troubles and the trouble came, you know? He just shows up and you're like, thanks. I don't know if that was supposed to be encouraging or not. Paul sent Timothy because he knew that people needed a reminder in the very middle of their circumstances so that their experiences won't cause their faith to fail. And Paul was keenly aware, I love this part in verse 5, that our struggles include a battle and, and a spiritual component. In verse 5 he says, I don't want the tempter to get the best of you. We are in a battle. And Paul knew that sometimes when we're walking through disappointments, we can get tunnel vision, can't we? You know where we just put on the blinders and all we can see is what we're going through? All we can see is the disappointment in front of us and we forget that God's goodness has been all around us. We forget that God's goodness has revealed himself to us time and time again, but we get ourselves in these places where this is all we can see, right? Right? 
And so Paul is sending Timothy to remind these new believers not to forget the goodness of God in the middle of their struggles. And then he says in in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill the gaps in your faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, filling the gaps. Today, are there gaps in your faith? Are there places you expected God to come through? Are there things that you're still waiting on the Lord for? I want to talk about filling the gaps. So we're going to turn to 1 Samuel 1, and we'll start at verse 4. Samuel is in the Old Testament. You could flip open your, if you use the Bible on your device, or if you bring your Bible, you could turn to it. It'll be up on the screen as well. And during this time, the nation of Israel was in desperate times. They lacked any sort of godly leadership, and God was being ignored. The law of God was being completely ignored throughout the land. And so at the beginning of this book, we are introduced to Elkanah. And Elkanah appears to be this God-fearing man. Um, I want to just tell you something you're going to notice right away as we head into this passage that Elkanah has two wives. And we see often in the Old Testament stories um, that, that uh, we see it throughout scripture. And although it was culturally acceptable at the time, it was not God's intent. Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. She was deeply, deeply loved by her husband. But when she was unable to conceive, Elkanah married Panina to bear him an heir. And it was common practice in this day for this to happen for a couple if they'd been married for over 10 years without children, the man would marry another woman. And Elkanah deeply loved Hannah. And year after year, this family would make their, their journey to the temple, their journey to Shiloh to worship God in the tabernacle. And that's where we're gonna start from this morning. 1 Samuel 1 verse four. It says, on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Panina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why are you downhearted? Just because you have no children, you have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? I'm going to get to that in a second. <laughs> Imagine this predicament that Hannah is in. Imagine what she must be feeling, this intense disappointment. She can do nothing to change her situation. You know, as even as we're reading, I feel like there's a strong sense in the room like this is not fair, right? This is not fair. Fair that Hannah could have no children. And it is not fair that Penina was mocking her situation. And it is not fair that she would have to go on this journey year after year and be subject to this. I don't know if you have heard this from you. I feel like I might, one of my kids, it's not fair, right? And if you have kids, you're familiar. My kids are always, it's not fair. He has a bigger piece of cake. Why did you buy her something? You know, it's always, it's always this comparison, right? And, and we have this natural tendency to compare. Um, but for Hannah, it's compounded 
by Panina's constant belittling. And here we see this gap. We see this perception gap forming in Hannah's relationship with God. See, what, what, what she saw as her deficiency seemed so unfair. God, why are you withholding from me? Why are you giving it to her and not me? Why, God, are you being so unfair? Her disappointment created this gap, a gap in her perception about who God is and whether he would come through for her. And to top it off, her rival Panina would not stop provoking her, ridiculing her, making fun of her to the point that Hannah's in tears. And Panina has this nagging and provoking conversation with Hannah. I think we're all familiar with it. See, whenever I have a weakness or a perceived weakness or a limitation in my voice, the voice of Panina, it's so close. It nags at me. It's in my head. See, the enemy always attacks our perceived deficiency, doesn't he? You know, it's the voice that gets stuck in our head. It's the voice that keeps highlighting our weakness and our failure. It's the voice that compares our situation to those around us. It's the voice that tries to make our whole identity about our weakness. And it's the voice that tries to convince us to doubt God and his goodness. And while Panina was trying to shape Hannah's identity around her weakness, Elkanah was trying to shape Hannah's identity about the, around the fact that she is loved. Elkanah loves Hannah, despite her insecurities. I always laugh at this verse, and you did too. You did, ex it, like, because you just can't read it, you know, without, without laughing. You know, when it says, you have me, isn't that better than having 10 sons? To be honest, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how I would, would react. Jared would probably have a better uh, understanding of, he might be like backing away slowly out of the room if you ever said that to me, <laughs> right? Because I, I wouldn't have taken it well. You know, you know when you're in a really tough place and someone goes, just look on the bright side. Or like, try to think of things to be thankful for right now. I'm like, no. You know, to be honest, I don't actually want to look on the bright side. Like, I'm sure if there's a bright side that exists, I don't want to go there because I actually sometimes find it easier to make company with the words of Panina than, than you know, I, I find it easier to make company with the habit of negative self-talk. And sometimes we just find so much comfort in our misery, don't we? You know, it's easier to pin it all on God and say, God, that's not fair, right? And I think actually, as we all laugh, Akana's words were exactly what she needed to hear in that moment. You are loved. Because a reminder of what we have actually is what helps us have a healthy perspective, even in the middle of disappointment, because we get these blinders on. And even when we don't want to hear it, sometimes we just need to hear it because don't tie your identity to your deficiency. That voice in our head can get so loud that we start believing it. And if we're not careful, it will wedge a gap between ourselves and God and ourselves and others. And today, in spite of what you might perceive as your deficiency of your weakness or limitations, despite what you might perceive as an unfair situation, you are loved by God. 
God does not tie your value to your limitations. Your value is tied to the very high price that Jesus was willing to pay for you. Let me remind you today that he paid his life for you. Romans says you see at just the right time when we are all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That, that's you and I. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you so much that he actually gave you infinitely more than you deserve. He gave his life in your place on the cross. And there's moments where we look around and we say, God, this is so unfair. God, why is this happening? And let me remind you today that to be fair would be to say that you actually get what you deserve, that I get what's coming to me. And I'm so thankful that God does not give us what we deserve. I am so thankful that God doesn't give us what's coming to me, that he gives me undeserved, amazing grace and love, that he extends renewed value to me as a child of God, that he sets me free from my sin and shame. And today, if we're tying our value to the limitations in our circumstance, remind ourselves the high price Jesus paid for you. Let God fill this perception gap. Let God remind you of his love. Does anyone actually remember uh, when we had um, phones that were attached to the wall in the kitchen? And there was like a cord. And if you wanted, if you were like me and you wanted to have a private conversation, you'd pull the cord around the corner and you'd go and you'd talk on the phone. You know, um, I, I actually, Jared and I has, haven't had a, a phone in our home that wasn't a cell phone since our kids were born. So I remember when my youngest, Milo, went to my parents and she picked up the phone for the first time and she was like, what is this? What's this noise? The dial tone. She'd never heard a dial tone before. Can you believe it? And I, I was, you know, I was just laughing, reminiscing about this, but I remember actually growing up, the phone's attached to the wall, and you, uh, they're like call waiting, does anyone remember call waiting? The, the busy signal, and if you're under 20, it's just like this nagging beep, like beep, 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 and it meant you couldn't get through. You couldn't text, you couldn't call, you couldn't, there was no other way around it. You couldn't email, like you just had to wait. And if you had dial-up internet, it would just be hours and hours and hours of the busy signal. And there, there's no way around it. It's like there's this communication gap. And if some of you are honest, you might say, when I pray, it kind of feels like this. It kind of feels like this constant busy signal. I can't get through to God. And you might feel like there's a communication gap. God, where are you? Are you silent? Are you working? What is happening here? And I'm sure Hannah experienced this. The scripture says year after year. Everyone say it with me, year after year, she made the trip to Shiloh. Year after year, she worshiped God. Year after year, she prayed. Year after year, she was taunted. Year after year, the same prayer, the same trip, no response. Talk about a communication gap. Expecting one thing in prayer and getting an, uh, another. Or even worse, getting completely ghosted. 1 Samuel 1.9 says, Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. 
Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place outside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And Hannah did something so important here. Even though this prayer journey had been years, probably over a decade, in the midst of what seemed like there was no answer, she continued to go to God. Sometimes we take our complaining to everywhere but God. Anyone with a pulse that will listen, our complaining turns to bitterness and resentment. And instead of moving closer to God, we find that there's this barrier that creates this chasm between us and God. Year after year, she prayed for a son. But this particular year, I believe something changed. And we're going to read together. She prayed this, O Lord of heaven armies, heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And as she was praying to the Lord, Eli, the priest, watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of the great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Year after year, Hannah wanted a baby. Year after year, she prayed, she cried, she called out to God until something changed. Because at first, I think her prayer was inward. It was about her situation. It was about her weakness. Maybe it was about Panina ridiculing her about her limitation. But somewhere on this journey, at somewhere over the years, her prayers changed. And the focus turned from moving inward to upward. She went from praying her wants and her desires and her will to praying God's will over her life. Year after year, she prayed for a baby. But this time, as we read it in verse 20, something changed. She prays, the reason I want this son, God, is so that I can give him back to you. Year after year, let me tell you, God was not silent. He was not inactive. He was shifting Hannah's heart towards his will. This was not an easy prayer to pray, but the closer she got to God, the more she desired his will and not his own because prayer changes you, doesn't it? Mother Teresa says, I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. In the communication gap, don't mistake God's silence as a lack of concern or a lack of action because in the silence, God is shaping your heart. In the silence, God is still working. Little did she know that the future of a nation rested on her prayer of surrender. And I think when she prayed this prayer, she might have shocked herself. I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer that shocked yourself before the, the words came out and you thought, where did that come from? I think something comes alive in us when we align ourselves to the purposes of God, when we recognize that he's doing something bigger than here, that he's doing something bigger than now, he's doing something bigger than just us. Prayer is this invitation for God to take control, and prayer is an invitation for God not just to change our situation, but to change us. And in the midst of your communication gap, when you feel like God is silent, let me encourage you, look around you. Don't get caught up with what he's not doing. Let's look for where he is working. 
Maybe he's shaping your heart. Maybe he's working in your family. Maybe he's orchestrating pieces and things together behind the scenes that you don't know about yet. And we see Hannah make this courageous vow to God in her prayer, but would she have the courage to keep her vow or would her faith waver? Here we see that there's this trust gap that could form. See, the nature of faith means there's a gap from what we can see to what we can't see. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of what we do not see. So when you are standing on the edge of a situation in your life and God is asking you to take a step, but it doesn't actually make any sense to you. I prayed for this baby, you gave me a baby, now you want me to give the baby to you? That's an opportunity for faith. Faith is trusting God in the places and the gaps that you cannot see. And let's continue reading. 1 Samuel 1, 20 to 22. It says, after the baby was born, she had the baby, God answered her prayer. The family was making their annual trip to worship God, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. We live in a world of do whatever feels right to you, don't we? And this produces very little accountability. The promise Hannah made to God when she said, if you give me a son, I'm gonna give him back to you. This was a promise not just to dedicate her baby to the Lord like Isabella was this morning. Wasn't she so cute? But this was a promise to actually let him be raised by the priest to commit Samuel's life to the work and the purposes of God, to drop him off at the temple. Could you imagine? It would have been easy for Elkanah to say, you know, Hannah, you've been praying for this baby. Don't feel bad about it. God sees, like, you know that promise you made? That was probably emotionalism. And God will understand he could have excused her from her promise. He actually, in this uh, patriarchal culture, he could have actually annulled her vow to the Lord, but instead he encouraged her to follow through with her vow to God. He encouraged her to keep her promise, and we need to welcome the accountability of people in, in our life that we love and trust because there's always a potential to waver, isn't there? There is a potential for this gap to form between our faith and our actions. If we think about it, she's holding on to the promise of God. The name Samuel actually meant, I asked the Lord for him. And now as she holds this miracle in her hands, she realizes the surrender that God is actually asking of her. To make this leap of faith, she needs to know that God is trustworthy, that he doesn't change, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Hannah had to choose between holding the promise for herself and actively putting her trust in God. In this moment, she could have looked backwards. She could have thought, what if I surrender this baby to the Lord and my life goes back to the way it was and back to the way it was when Panina was mocking me and ridiculing me. I was lonely and I was tormented, but instead she looked forward. She allowed her obedience to be an investment in the kingdom of God. And after she kept her word to the Lord, she went on to have more children, but that's not not all. That's not all God did as she obeyed the Lord. As a result of her obedience, 
to, to give Samuel to the Lord. Samuel was launched into the purposes that God had for his life. Look who Samuel turned out to be. He was a judge, a prophet. He anointed the first two kings of Israel. He was a national leader. He was an intercessor. He led the nation in victorious battle. He moved them from spiritual apathy to spiritual rededication as a result of Hannah's obedience. And when you stand at the edge of a moment that takes faith, the temptation is to look back, but the transformation happens when we look forward, amen? There's a lot that I don't know about the future, but what I do know is that God is good and God does good. What I do know is that God is bigger than what I don't know about the future. And so something happened in the middle of Hannah's disappointments, in the middle of her gaps. Is God fair? Does he hear me? Can I trust him? Hannah realizes that the gaps were not actually limitations, that these gaps were opportunities for God to exceed her expectation. The gaps were there to create space for God to do the miraculous. This is so exciting. If God did what Hannah expected, she wouldn't have been disappointed. I prayed for a baby, I got a baby. I, you know, prayed for provision, I got provision. But God, if God did what she expected, she would not have experienced God exceeding her expectations. Because when there are disappointments between your expectation and God's activity, it's often a setup for God to move beyond your expectation. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than what we could ask or think. If God did what we expected, he would never be able to accomplish infinitely more. See, if God did what we expected, he would never, we would, we would be able to understand the thoughts and plans of God. But Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There are often disappointments on the journey to God exceeding your expectation. Christine Kane says, on the other side of disappointment lies God appointments. Just think about it. The disciples were so disappointed when Jesus was taken to be crucified. When he hung on that cross, they were so disappointed. Little did they know that God was about to exceed their expectations that their Messiah would raise from the dead three days later, holding the victory to death, hell, and the grave. What we see is not always what is happening. And by the time Hannah brought Samuel to the temple as a young boy to surrender him to God, this was not a sad day. She was not bitter. She was not discouraged. She was not disappointed. She had discovered that God's not unfair. He showed up and he showed his unfailing love to her in the, her perception gap that he's not silent, that he made his will so clear to her in the communication gap. And that when there's a potential to waver and, and to mistrust God, God exceeded her expectations. These gaps that felt so cavernous for years were now filled with God's purpose. And in this moment, she could have left with a huge void in her heart as she laid her son before the Lord. But instead, she burst forth in worship. 
she realized that the reward isn't things, that the reward isn't a person or a relationship. The reward is not a good reputation. It's not a destination that you are aiming to arrive at. The reward isn't even the answer to prayer itself. The reward is God. God himself exceeded her expectations. He didn't take from Hannah when she gave her son. It may have seemed like something was being taken from her in the moment, but I believe something bigger was given. A faith, a hope, a purpose, a renewed relationship with God. And her heart burst forth with this song. She said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer from my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. No one besides you. There is no rock like our God. It's not how we expected the story to end, but God has, a, has a, a, a reputation of exceeding our expectations. It's not a moment of, it was a moment of courage, not a moment of discouragement. It was a moment of appointment and not disappointment. And she says to Eli the priest, sir, do you remember me? I'm the woman who just a few years ago, I was, you know, crying in discouragement. I was the one in such despair that my lips were moving, but you couldn't even make out a word. She says, sir, do you remember? I, I was the one that was ugly crying. Remember that in my sorrow, you thought that I was drunk. Do you remember me? I'm back. But now in my surrender to God, I've gained something that no one can take away from me. God is my reward. God is my rock. God is my song. God's my rescuer. God's my maker. He exceeds every expectation. He silences every skeptic. He's my future. He's my provider. He's my security. He's my answer. He's my defender. And as God did the miracles, and as God led a nation through Samuel's leadership, Hannah realizes that she's, this move of God is part of her legacy now. Don't miss this part because if Hannah held on to that baby boy, she would have missed being an integral part of what God was doing in the next generation. And I'm convinced as I get older that if I wanna be part of the move of God, then I need to be part of what God is doing in the next generation. It's how a move of God turns into a movement of God from generation to generation to generation. Your gaps are not too big for God. In fact, they might just be a setup for you right now. Be on the lookout for God to exceed your expectations. He's not far. He's not silent. He's not apathetic towards you. He's here. He's speaking. And He does not change. Today, I encourage you to consider two things in the midst of your faith gaps, in the midst of your disappointments and maybe waiting for an answer you haven't seen, ask two things. What is your position and what is your posture? What is your position? Hannah, year after year, she kept positioning herself in the presence of God. She kept going to the temple. She kept praying. She kept seeking God. She had this position of persistence in disappointments. Don't stop the things you know. Keep praying, keep reading your word, keep trusting, keep aligning yourself with what you do know about God and trust him in the places you don't understand yet. 
And, and the second thing she did is the question, what is your posture? Because she wasn't tight-fisted when it came to God's promises, was she? Instead, you know, of, of keeping God's promise for her, herself, she surrendered. She took on the posture of surrender. And in the gaps in your faith, are you trying to control all the outcomes? Or are you living to surrender to God's purposes? I echo Paul's prayer for you. He said this, night and day, we pray earnestly for you. Asking God to let us see you again, to fill in the gaps in your faith. The temptation, the temptation for us is to be self-sufficient, to fill all these gaps on our own, isn't it? See, we can't fill the gaps on our own. We can't do it on our own. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. See, we all walked away from God. We turned our back on him and we went our own way and our sin created these gaps in our relationship with God. Yet God gave his son to be the sacrifice. Jesus bridged the gap. Samuel wasn't the, or Hannah wasn't the only one that surrendered her son. God surrendered his son to say, you are love so that we could be saved and know Jesus and know peace and know freedom and know hope. In light of what Jesus has already done for us on the cross, in light of the blood that was shed, is God unfair? Does God hear? Can God be trusted? Let me encourage you to keep trusting. You might be in the middle of an expectation gap, but get ready for what God is going to do. He's done so much already. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us.